0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Andrew DeYoung, author of the new novel, The Temps. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here. So great to be with you. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Temps, how would you describe the novel?
1: Well, it is a apocalyptic novel, um, but it's also a office novel a workplace novel um it is about a group of um temp workers at a mega corporation um who get trapped in the sort of giant office complex where they work during a um a global uh sort of catastrophic event that um kills off all the regular employees but just leaves them stuck in the building and so they're kind of trying to survive a apocalypse um at the place where they worked and were kind
0: of underpaid as temps. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus or really bad temp job that led you to write the temps? I certainly have had my share of, um,
1: of rough and not very good paying office jobs uh, in my life. Um, worked plenty of, you know, low paying or no paying internships and assistantships. And I think that um, I wanted to write about that time in my life a little bit, um, but I, I wanted to make it um, interesting. You know, I, I certainly had the experience that I think a lot of people have of maybe graduating from college or even even high school and trying to get into the working world, and it being really difficult at first, um, and that being a really hard thing to find um, work that's, that's meaningful and not too um, humiliating. Um, And I wanted to write about that, but I wanted I wanted sort of an interesting um, uh, speculative premise that could that could get me there. And once upon a time, I think it it just kind of came to me. Um, I I thought, you know, what if uh, what if it was a group of young office workers who are just stuck in the office uh, during a sort of apocalyptic event? I probably had like Dawn of the Dead, you know, that movie, um, there's mm-hmm. actually two movies. There's, uh, the original and the, um, the remake, um, Dawn of the Dead is, is a zombie apocalypse where the survivors get trapped in a, in a, in a mall. So I just kind of had this idea, what if it was Dawn, in the, Dawn of the Dead, but instead of a mall, you had an office. And then I, I started thinking about, you know, devising ways to have it just be, the, um, the most, uh, poorly paid, um, workers who were stuck there while all the, you know, the executives and the regular employees weren't there, uh, to really focus on that experience of being young and, uh, underemployed. And so I, I kind of devised this scheme where, okay, there's an all company meeting, maybe there's an all company meeting and everybody gets invited. Uh, but the temps don't get invited because they're not regular employees. And it happens during that. And so the temps are stranded, but all the regular employees were outside when it happened at this all company meeting. And I actually know that this is a thing that happens. Um, I know some folks who have worked as temps or contractors at large um, corporations where there are big yearly meetings to pump up everybody. But all the regular employees leave and all the, uh, all the contract employees have to stay behind. So it actually felt a little bit realistic to me. But then, of course, the, um, the speculative premise with the apocalypse allowed me to have a little bit of uh,
0: fun with the premise as well. That's great. Well, I know that this is a novel, but I'm curious. Do you think the Great Resignation, as people are talking about a lot now, is just a blip or do you think that the pandemic Cause people to start reexamining their work-life balance. I really do think it started um, uh,
1: something that's real. Um, people, I think, are examining their work-life balance. They're wondering, you know what it, what good is this is this job that I have if it's not making me happy. I also think that you know we had at least some periods of um, of support uh, from, uh, government checks through the, through the pandemic, which I think was a good thing, but that gave kind of people the, the luxury of sitting back and kind of wondering, you know, what do I really want to be doing with my, with my nine to five? Um, and if it's something that just makes you miserable, which I think sadly, a lot of people are miserable in their day jobs. Um, I think I'd be better off just quitting. I don't know what happens ultimately if people come back to their jobs or if they seek work that feels more meaningful to them, but I certainly view it as if, if people are having an opportunity to think critically about their jobs and what they want to be doing with their, with their days um, to, to pay the bills, I think that's just a good thing.
0: Sure. Well, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published?
1: yeah so i I started writing in earnest um when I was around twenty nine years old. This was a, back in like uh twenty twelve um, I had always dreamed of being a writer or a novelist, but i I struggled to uh, getting a, any momentum in a writing practice um something about turning twenty nine I think that I saw thirty right around the corner and Folks who are my age and older will laugh at that because there's nothing scary about 30. (laughs) Um, But for whatever reason, when I was 29, I thought, oh, no, if I don't do it by the time I'm 30, I'm never going to do it. So I started writing more seriously, did begin really completing novels. Um, I wrote uh, my first novel, which helped me get an agent. Um, That novel that helped me get my agent did not actually... Um, find a publishing house but the next one did and that was my debut novel um, a young adult novel um, the exo project and then um shortly after um that one sold and published i embarked on writing um the temps which is not ya it is my um adult fiction debut um interesting uh interesting writing journey with the temps actually is that when I showed it to my agent, I really loved the book. And I showed it to my agent. You know, I said, I'm really excited about this. This is what I want to be doing next. He didn't really like it. And um, after discussing it, I realized that he wasn't going to be a good advocate for it or for me. And I we parted company. Um, and I actually, that was a scary thing because, you know, uh for for your listeners who don't know, agents are really important in getting published. But I, I kind of went on out on my own, began submitting to new agents, eventually did get another agent. But the way that this novel came to be is that I actually submitted uh, it without an agent. I submitted it unagented to um, Keylight uh, Books, which is an imprint of Turner Publishing. And they picked it up off the slush pile. Um, so really kind of an interesting journey f- through my first book and now in my second published book. Um, that has kind of been bumpy, but ultimately took me to here, the, where the book is, is coming out, and I'm pretty excited about it.
0: That's great. Well, are you working on a new novel now?
1: I have a couple uh, books that are kind of in the can, so to speak, and that are um, being submitted to various places. Um, and I'm thinking pretty hard about what I want to do next. There's a couple ideas that are kind of knocking at the door. One is a little bit like the Temps, which would be um, something that kind of engages with weird uh, corporations and the sort of um, uh, sort of paranoia and dy- dystopian um, environment that can that can come about in 21st century uh, capitalism. And then there are some that are a little bit more uh, maybe crime focused. Um, but I always I need to be working on something. Um, and, um, so it's just a matter of picking, picking what's next. Um, so, you know, those few in the can that I am hoping will find a home. And then the thing, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like writing, writing chapters. I'm in the early stages of, uh, of picking, of picking a project to go with next, basically.
0: That's great. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on the Do Do you write an outline before diving into the novel? How does that work for you?
1: My usual process um, is to uh, first get an idea. And for me, the idea will come with a sense of the beginning and a sense of where it's going to end up. But I don't have much of the middle, but I but I know kind of what I want the destination to be. Um, I will not usually write a outline right away. What uh, I will tend to do is write a chapter or two or three. Kind of just exploring things and seeing if the if the world and if the characters are um, exciting to me, you know if there's mm-hmm. if there's any real potential here um, and at a certain point after I've kind of got those first few chapters down and it's feeling good to me and I'm feeling like yes this is really something that I want to be working on at that point, what I tend to do is I will stop and I will write down um an outline and it's not a, it's not a hyper detailed outline generally that I do. Um, what I will tend to do is I'll write it as a list of things that need to happen. That's how I think of it. You know, this is a list of things that need to happen between now, like where I am in the book and the end of the book. Um, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a punch list, you know? Um, I know that there are these plot points that are necessary to get me from here to there, And then also on that list of things that need to happen are a few scenes often that I just, that they're maybe not necessary from a plot standpoint to move the story along and get to the end, but they're fun scenes that I really want to write. So at that point, I've got my outline, my list of things that need to happen. And um, then I'll kind of dive back in. And try as much as I can to get all the way to the end. And I will say that that list, that outline, that list of things that needs to happen, it changes several times throughout the um, remaining drafting that that um, that I do for the first draft, because what will happen is inevitably, I'll get into the writing, you know, I'll write to my outline, I'll write the scenes that I want to write. But something about What I discover in the character motivations or something about what I discover in the world will make me realize that my plan, my outline is not quite right. And so I'll, I'll continually be going back and, and editing that a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of like, you know, you draw, you, you have a map for where you want to get, but sometimes you find that there's a detour or you want to, you want to do a little jaunt over here or whatever. So the map, I mean, I know the destination, but the map and the, and the way of getting there, um, changes several times through the drafting for me, it does. Sure. Well,
0: what, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think number one is, um, is just write what is most exciting to you. You are going to be spending Especially, you know, if you're writing a novel, a long work, you're gonna be spending a lot of time um with that idea, with that world. You are going to get to a place, most likely, most people do, where you don't um you don't like it that much. Sometimes you don't like it very much in the middle. Sometimes you really start to think it's a it's a bad or a silly idea. So the best thing you can do for yourself is just pick something, pick a story idea or pick a character or a world. That you really have a burning need in yourself to write, um, because during those um, difficult times in the middle, um, that feeling will help carry you through that real burning desire to kind of get this story out um, is something that can carry you through. Um, I would say another one is um, is uh, try to write the book that only you can write, or if not the book like. Not an idea that only you could have necessarily, because I think that a lot of people could maybe write the same idea a different way, but write it in a way that only you can write it, you know, bring your own obsessions and your own point of view to it, because that's another thing that I think will give you some momentum in your own writing and hopefully will uh, give um, some interest to the world as well, because, you know, you're the most unique and valuable thing that you have as a writer, and then my last piece of advice is one that I give pretty often, and that is to um, when you're setting goals for daily or weekly writing, it sound, it's it's going to sound ironic, but I actually think that it is better for people to set modest daily goals or weekly goals mm-hmm. than really um, stretch daily or weekly goals. For a long time, as a young writer, I thought that I should be writing a thousand words a day or something like that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's not a bad goal. And sometimes it's really easy to hit that, but sometimes it's pretty hard and you don't really need to be in the position of, you know, getting 800 words or whatever the amount is, and then beating yourself up about it, because that will start to give you negative associations and sort of guilt associations with the act of writing. Mm -hmm. I find it's much better to set a goal of Whatever is less but achievable for you and just keeps you with some momentum 250 words a day, 500 words a day, uh, three times a week, four times a week, whatever whatever it is. because what will happen, or at least what happened for me, is that when I set a goal that is modest, I find myself meeting that goal, sometimes exceeding that goal, and really finding sort of more of a sense of positivity and accomplishment associated with the act of writing rather than a feeling of failure and guilt associated with the act of writing. And the fact is, I mean, with that positivity, um, small progress applied over time can really get you pretty far. It doesn't need to be huge word counts every day, and it doesn't even need to be every day uh, of the week. Um, If you set yourself small goals and, and hit them, um, you will get much further than you think uh, when you
0: apply that over time. That's great advice. Uh, it's something that a lot of people don't talk about that often. So good to hear you say that. Absolutely. Well, what What novels have you read recently that you enjoyed?
1: Well, I'm currently reading um, this book. Um, it's called Mouth to Mouth by um, Antoine. I think his name is Antoine Wilson. It's a it's a relatively new book. Um, and that is, it's, it's, it's a short book, you know, I'm kind of burning through it. I just started reading it like a couple days ago. And that is a book about sort of an encounter, uh, between two people. Um, someone saves someone from drowning. Um, and then later, uh, begins to almost stalk that person or kind of like become part of their lives, just kind of Mm -hmm. out of a sense of obsession with this thing that happened, you know, the fact that, um, he saved him from drowning and, and saved his life. And it really becomes sort of a, a bit of a thriller and a, and a story of, of, of obsession in a way. Um, I'm finding that really interesting just due to the simplicity of the, the simplicity, but also the interest that I find in the premise um, another book that I read recently with, that I think is really fantastic is um a book called Devil House by uh John Darnielle. And if you know that name, it's because he's a musician. Um he is a he's he's basically the man behind the the band Um The Mountain Goats. Mm-hmm. Um but he's also a novelist. He wrote um a couple novels before Devil House. And it's it's kind of a horror uh uh premise. Um, where, you know, someone is, is occupying a house that might be haunted. You know, it has something to do with the satanic panic of the of the 1980s and 1990s. But what John Darnielle does with, the, with premises like these, if anybody has read any of his prior books, is really fascinating and, and bizarre. And, um, and I mean, I hesitate to say too much about it because I think it's okay. best experienced, really. Um, it's just really been a fantastic book. Um certainly there are, are plenty more um but uh those are two that I uh either
0: enjoyed or am enjoying um currently. Sure. Well where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels?
1: So um I have a website um andredyoung.com uh, um I am on uh, Twitter at Andrew J DeYoung. Um, I've got the J in there um, because someone <laughs> else has Andrew DeYoung. I imagine a lot of authors and have this problem, but um, nonetheless that's where you can find me. I do have a um, a uh, email newsletter, a uh, Substack actually, um, which you can just find at andrewdeyoung.substack.com. Uh generally there what I write about is um, is movies and uh, TV shows, um, but I'll probably have some pieces up that have a little bit to do with the with the book um, over the next uh, few weeks here, and maybe by the time um, your your listeners get around to it, there'll be plenty of writing about about the about the novel. Um, so, I mean, certainly always looking for more um, subscribers to that um, because uh, yeah, it's a really enjoyable thing that I get to write about stuff that I'm interested in and just have an audience for it. I think those are the main ones, website, newsletter, and Twitter.
0: That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Andrew DeYoung, author of the new novel, The Temps. The book is available now, so go buy a copy. And Andrew, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. Great.
1: Jacob pushed the cart through workspaces and conference rooms and cafeterias, supremely alone. The office space was a patchwork of walls and hallways and doors, open floor plan desk pools, cubicle farms, private offices, kitchenettes, collaborative spaces with funky couches, and whiteboard walls. Mostly these rooms were empty, but sometimes Jacob sensed human presences nearby, the tap of computer keys at the click of a mouse from behind a chest-height partition wall a cleared throat from inside a private workroom, the shape of a rounded back, head and shoulders hunched, turned inward toward a screen. Red badge workers like him, left behind under the buzzing lights of the fluorescents while the regular employees went to their special meeting in the sun. In one room, Jacob met eyes with a girl walking to her desk with a mug of freshly steaming coffee clutched in one hand. Golden hair tumbled curling onto her shoulders and oversized nerd-sheet glasses arched from her eyebrows to blow her cheekbones. She smiled awkwardly, then angled her eyes downward and kept walking. Jacob looked at the address code on the next piece of mail, then consulted his map. The delivery was almost at the other end of the wing, near the amphitheater. Not wanting to walk such a long distance, through that maze of rooms and winding cubicle lanes, he moved toward an exit door and pushed through, back to the open concourse, Above him, the ceiling vaulted almost comically high, hundreds of feet over his head. He was reminded once again of cathedrals, of the European churches he'd once visited during a semester abroad. Jacob remembered little from these tours, couldn't remember any of the facts the tour guides had offered about the building's design and construction, except one. The height of a th- cathedral ceiling was intended to draw the eyes up, to usher supplicants from lives of bleak medieval deprivation into hallowed sanctuaries of awe perhaps this was the purpose of the delphi buildings design too to awe the corporate drones walking beneath those high ceilings to intimidate them into states of docility and obedience jacob walked almost to the top of the wing then found a door back into the offices at that moment a low thud drew jacob jacob's eyes up past the cubicle walls to the tall windows looking onto the courtyard the sound of thumping bass was coming from the direction of the amphitheater. They were playing music at the all-company meeting. Jacob Grand then laughed aloud as he pictured the mailroom lady. Her name was probably something like Irene or Carol, he'd decided, waiting for the Delphi CEO amidst millennials and Gen Zers as pump-up music blared from speakers. He recalled videos he'd seen on Facebook and Twitter, viral at first, then ubiquitous as memes, of product rollouts at tech companies executive shouting into headset mics as employees screamed like tween girls at a boy band concert, Steve Jobs accepting adulation from throngs of tech journalists, Bill Gates clapping his hands and dancing awkwardly on a stage. Jacob walked toward the windows, then left the mail cart behind as he went right up to the glass. Abandoning work so soon, slacking his first day on the job, but he wanted to see. The amphitheater was sunk into the ground as Jacob had suspected. His view out the window was near the back of the amphitheater, with rows of benches leading down, concentric semicircles following the line of the building as it angled to a point at the top of the triangle. The slope of the ground sunk down below the level of the floor Jacob stood on, revealing a sublevel below his feet. From front to back, the theater was at least 500 feet long, seating thousands of employees shoulder to shoulder. The back bench of the amphitheater began about 20 feet away from him, separated by a thin strip of grass. Jacob put his hand near the glass and waved, testing to see if, it w- if he was visible through the windows. But nobody, not even the employees sitting closest to him, made any sign of seeing him. They kept their eyes forward, craning over the heads of the people in front of them to wait for Tristan Brandt to take the stage. The windows were all one-way glass, tinted but transparent from the inside looking out opaque and mirrored from the outside looking in. Jacob was invisible, anonymous. Then below there was a commotion, the thousands of employees standing and applauding, faces flushed with sun and adulation. Jacob looked down, eyes darting to find what was creating all the excitement. Then he spotted him, a man walking to the stage, waving. Employees in the benches nearest Brant clustered and reached toward him. He reached and grasped at their hands, accepted their touch on his back and shoulders as he made his way to the lectern. Brandt wore blue jeans and an unbuttoned gray sport coat over a white collared shirt. Jacob couldn't quite see his face. His view was obstructed by the hordes of Delphi employees mobbing him, hoping for some contact with the CEO. But in glimpses, he got the impression of a fit man in his 50s with thinning salt and pepper hair. Throughout the amphitheater, Employees stood, clapping and whistling in a standing ovation that went on for minutes even after Brandt had leapt on the stage and taken the lectern, and that might have gone on for several more. Might have, that is, if the poisonous yellow mist hadn't descended.
0: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes